Welcome to Ancient Answers, where we talk about current and contemporary issues by reflecting on the wisdom of the ancient peoples. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And today we're going to talk about... Coins! Money! Yeah! Not like Mario, but actual... <laughs> money, money! <laughs> um, yes, we're going to discuss how money came into existence and how it evolved, especially in the ancient days, mm -hmm. into something that's very important today with a few surprises for our listeners in terms of the history, because it's not quite as, well, it's not quite as direct as people think. It's got yep. interesting bumps and uh, hiccups along the way, but it also was something that was remarkably sophisticated in the ancient days. Which is which is really funny to think about, because like many things nowadays, we sort of take it for granted that, uh, so to use money in coins as an example, I mean, Oh, yeah, I mean, it just makes so much sense to have nickels and dimes and quarters and loonies and toonies here in Canada. Um, and just the way that it divides, and it's so simple and easy, but the fact that coins at one point were such a revolutionary idea that for so such a long par portion of human history, they didn't even exist is, is a little hard to wrap your head around. Especially when you look into the evolution of coins and currency and how it started and what it came to. It's... Oh, it's it's just, it's weird. It's I mean, a weird one. <laughs> in, in the really ancient days, let's say Babylonian times and so on, they didn't have any currency. Yeah. So the earliest coin that we are aware of that you would say is a distinctive coin, a piece of metal mm -hmm. punched with some design that identified where it came it came from Lydia, yeah. which is part of now Turkey, uh, a Greek colony around the year 610, 600 BC. Uh, there were... Prior to that, little pieces of metal that were used, but nothing what we would say is a coin. Mm -hmm. So we give the Greeks at that time, kind of coming out of the Dark Ages, credit for inventing something that would transfer money and transport value from place to place as they became uh, an intermediate culture in between some larger cultures that were reestablished themselves and were starting to trade again. Yeah. So this is after the Bronze age collapse yeah. well after 400 and 500 600 years after that so the the world had gone through especially in the mesopotamian mediterranean sorry mediterranean area a little bit of a collapse and a restructuring so coins show up mm -hmm. and and so there uh, as gordon mentioned there were uses of metal as currency before but as he said we're talking specifically about coins um, that had so, a logo printed on it of some design that mm -hmm. identified it with a ruler or a kingdom. Yeah, so there was uh, there there have been times where I think in Egypt, my uh, I found some research saying that they used a system of metal bars where you would essentially carry a metal bar with you of either gold or silver, and when you were you know conducting business and making exchanges, they would cut pieces off depending on what the value was of the transaction um, in the uh, the Mediterranean and Aegean they used uh, uh, copper talents so it was it was they'd be kind of heavy to they carry. were yeah they were 25 kilograms so 55 to 60 pounds <laughs> like barbells or something yeah, but that was literally like a common form of currency and and talent actually became a term later on uh, as as a, a measure of value, so That's okay, right. this this piece of gold is the equivalent of a sixty pound piece of copper. Um, but that was the that was the big bonus with coins was that it was they were small, they were portable, um, and it was the importance of the coins is that it was a piece of something that actually had a fixed standardized value. Yeah, it was gold or silver or electra, which is a yeah. natural occurring. Uh, 
It's an alloy of the two of the two metals. Yep. Yeah, they have found uh, coins in the uh, location of the Temple of Artemis mm. uh, in Lydia, uh, with one of the ancient wonders of the world, uh, that actually appear to have a picture of a horse and the picture of of a face identified as Agamemnon. Mm, so yeah. that was one of the clues that the Trojan War may have existed, or at least it was so culturally embedded that even some of the early coins showed the the images yeah. of these things. And then they would so within the Greek speaking world, the coins would be accepted as legal tender uh, for the very reason that they were made of silver and gold. Yeah. In a sense, if you really were were pressed hard, you could melt them down and turn them into jewelry and sell them if yep. you had to. However, coins began to diversify in terms of sizes and shape. So one of the next things that came up was uh, when Alexander the Great, and we mentioned in our episode about Alexander's cities, mm-hmm. uh, was the, is the sort of uh, Hellenization spread through what is now Afghanistan, uh, Pakistan, um, Iraq, Iran, and so on with those places today, we have found coins, historians and archaeologists have found Greek coins mm-hmm. all throughout those areas, many of them that date from the 400s and 300s BC. And so we li- see that lively trade and business was ongoing and coins were being carried long distance as a form of currency. Yep, That's quite an remarkable achievement and a heck of a lot easier to do with coins than big heavy pieces of copper that's right <laughs> now i happen to mention electrium which is this natural occurring uh, alloy of steel uh sorry gold and silver uh, sometimes the practice of trying to separate the two metals wasn't well done and so they ended up making these coins which they often called white gold or we yep. call white gold today and that it proved to be a very durable metal as well uh, because silver, as you know, can tarnish. Mm-hmm. Gold usually doesn't, but electrium does not. Mm-hmm. And so the coins would often stay the bright, shiny silver, and they were prized for certainly several centuries. Eventually, in the late Roman period, they would fade out as a metal preference. That's partly because, and we'll get to the Romans in a bit, uh, the Romans uh, had an explosion of mining exploits that uh, made them gave them access to a lot more silver than previous societies had. Yeah. But before that, we jump into the Romans because inevitably we always come back to the Romans yeah, of course. in these kind of matters. <laughs> it's just because they were so organized about mm-hmm. this. Um, a quick little shout out to China. Oh, yeah, we can't talk about currency without talking about China. No, because China, on its own, uh, developed a whole raft of currency and coins. Now, they tended to be made out of bronze mm-hmm. uh, and, and other alloys of bronze, but they have one of the distinctive features of Chinese coins right from the beginning is the little square hole in the middle. Oh, so that they could put them on strings. That's right. Yep. It is a unique feature of Chinese coins that really from the beginning... Now, prior to 200... BC, no, we don't really see many examples of Chinese coins. There was Chinese, almost like you say, talent. They would mm-hmm. be chunks of metal that would be exchanged as, as currency value. Yeah, my understanding is that they were sort of representative of the items that you would be selling or bartering. Bingo, exactly. Yeah. But one of the great innovative in, innovations that was brought in by the first emperor 
of China, uh, Qing Shui Huang, is that he ordered a uniform currency review. So all the currencies had to be redone into certain sizes and certain uh, denominations. And that was a revolutionary process, something that would not take place for another 200 years in the Mediterranean area. Mm -hmm. But that establishment in China literally did not change for the next thousand years. And, and it has to be a credit that when the Han Dynasty sort of took over shortly afterwards, they maintained this standard of currency so that everybody that they traded with knew what the value of things were and they didn't experience anywhere near the inflation mm-hmm. issues that later the Romans would. And we're going to get to the Romans because yeah. its story directly has impact on our world today. Well, and, and it's important to mention the, the importance of the standardization because um, uh, that, that's a big problem with when you look at bartering systems, for example, is that you know different things will have different value depending on who you're talking to and, and you know just opinions or, or the, the state of... Uh, the area in which you live and whatnot, but at least with a standardized form of currency, there is a standardized value behind that. You know exactly what it is you're getting for what. Um, And the Aegean cultures actually didn't have standardization for quite some time um, between, uh, what does it say here? So uh, Greek coinage began as early as the 7th century in in the Aegean, but there were different places minting their own coins. So you had... Uh, that used the uh, the drachma, but you would have Athens doing one type, and then you would have Corinth That's doing right. another, and Thebes doing another. So, so the the weight of these coins would dr- vary pretty drastically depending on where you were. So some of them were as light as four grams, and some were as heavy as eight grams. So depending on who you're trading with and what kind of coins they had the standardization was rather flexible and now you need to get scales out and you have to weigh the actual metals and compare and contrast and there were different purities as well so um yeah it it was quote unquote a standardized system but nowhere near the sophistication that we see from ancient china that's right and and the the chinese because they hit that sophistication so soon give or take around the year 200 bc the fact that they literally went for over a thousand years yeah, that's with the basic system is is to their credit. Now switching back to the uh, Mediterranean area, of course, after the Greeks and and because the Greeks were really a diverse group of of, of city states, with the exception of Alexander the Great, there was some uniformity that he brought in. But he didn't, in a sense, once his kingdom was broken up to his surviving generals, there wasn't uniformity maintained. No, not anymore. And, and a lot of it had to do about which mines were available in each other area. Who had gold mines? Who had silver mines? Who had copper mines? And stuff like that. And, of course, the minerals and the metals that were coming at different volumes in different areas. Then the Romans show up. Now, the early Roman currency system, they adopted it from the Greeks as early as 300 B.C., it was a bit cumbersome. They had kind of like two overlapping systems, one that was based on fours and one was based on the number fives and mm-hmm. tens and so on. And it got a little confusing. However, once the Republic collapsed and the Romans had now occupied Egypt, so they had this enormous wealth, they were able to basically rob and pillage everybody's <laughs> bank accounts that 
all the kingdoms that they had conquered, including the Greeks, they suddenly were in possession of an enormous amount of silver and gold. Uh, it's been estimated that they got between 10 and 12 times the amount of precious metal in really just a lifetime of military conquest that happened very quickly, kind of culminating with Julius Caesar. Mm -hmm. It is an interesting thing to note that Julius Caesar, there's a comment, it's not Julius Caesar himself, but there's a commentary of a historian that there were coins found in northern Germany amongst the tribespeople there who were barding with Roman soldiers who came to them as early as 50 BC. So these Greek coins had made their way up into northern Germany mm -hmm. as a form of currency. That's, I think, quite an achievement. Yeah. Um, so in the case with uh, that and in Rome is reform. And one of the reforms that were brought on by Augustus, quite a remarkable reform, was a reform of the currency. Mm -hmm. A very precise delineation of what size of coins, what their value is, what their relationship to different size coins. And he created a, a currency exchange system that went for 300 years. Okay. So it went from about 22 BC when it was fully implemented. And it went with 1, 2, 5, 10, 50, 100, 200, 1000. Okay. So your basic unit with gold coins at the top end then silver coins, and then copper coins, and different sizes. And that basic size setup stayed the same until the uh, refinements of Diocletian in the year 301, mm -hmm. uh, which didn't last very long, but I'll get to that in a second. But the coinings that went through the high park of the Roman Empire is a fundamental reason that the Roman Empire could maintain its control over its land. Yeah, it had some political problems and usurpations and, you know, some emperors who were less than... Less than ideal? <laughs> less than ideal. <laughs> uh, but traders and merchants throughout the empire kind of always knew what they could trade for. Mm -hmm. Now, was there well, a deep... It's that standardized value again, it's right? Standardized it's value. knowing exactly what you have in your possession, right? That's right. Now, two events did take place that would devaluate... The currents. We've always heard the story about how Romans would chip away at the coins to get little bits of the mm. precious metal off, and sometimes their coins became quite lopsided. Some of the finds that have been archaeological finds where there's been a cache of Roman coins found, you find quite a few of the coins yeah. and the chips taken off of them. Uh, but and that, that reason was because, yes, uh, in the height of the empire, in let's say the late 200s, 250 to 300, before Diocletian sort of took over. And he did do an enormous amount of reforming in, in a variety of ways. The Roman Empire began to pay its soldiers. In fact, they doubled the pay of its soldiers. At one point, they had over 400,000 men in uniform. Uh, that's an enormous state cost. Oh, yeah. That would be estimated roughly 50% of the operating cost of the Roman Empire. Oh, because during that 50 years, from roughly 250 to 300, no major construction projects were undertaken in the empire. No temples, no, there were some aqueducts and there were some roads, but they were relatively low cost. The military and the cost of military weapons and the mm -hmm. cost of military excursion and the never ending war against the Parthogens there in the Eastern Front, if you want to call it, um, 
drained the Roman economy. And here's the interesting thing. The Silk Road had already now shown up. Mm -hmm. So trade between China, which Rome and China never really met each other, but they sort of knew of each other's existence through intermediators. Well, they were trading back and forth. So the Romans were buying products that were coming from that part of the world. Well, if they traded it for monetary money, the money doesn't come back to their economy. That's true. It's an expenditure that never returns. It ends up as coins. That's why Roman coins have been found all throughout Central Asia, all the way to what is now China, mm-hmm. because they did have a value. But the Roman mines also began to have problems, especially their, their silver mines in Spain mm-hmm. began to have problems around the year 300. So Diocletian decided to reform the coins to kind of adapt for the fact that the material size of the coins itself had to shrink a little bit to accommodate and then re remint them all yeah didn't last long only five years when then constantine then takes over constantine has a much more grandiose but he is now facing enormous inflation yeah inflation that would surprise me is very modern in its form okay where the the value of a roman coin drop roughly in half. Mm -hmm. Now, we go, well, we've seen our currency drop in half in the last hundred years. Okay, we're paper money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, our, our metal coins don't really count these days. They're yeah. not made made of metal that really counts. And and that's that's actually uh, sorry sorry to interrupt, but that's actually a, a very important distinction is that nowadays when we use paper money or even if you do look at the metal coins that we have, their actual commercial value is essentially zero. Like they are, zero. they're they're worthless yeah. pieces of paper. They are useless hum- <clears throat> lumps of metal that hold no value on their own. They have value because we as a society have agreed that they have value. That's we it. have agreed that these are the representations of our wealth and our currency and a medium of exchange. But in the times that we're talking about right now, these coins had actual wealth. It was the it was the weight in the gold or the silver that was it was literally worth its weight in gold. It was a, a one-to-one ratio. Well, like today, if you get a gold bar today or gold, you buy yeah. a gold mint or a you know a golden uh, maple leaf or you yeah. buy a, a golden U.S. coin or something like that. Yeah, that, they have value. Yeah, exactly. And but yeah, the market goes up and down a bit, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but like I said, that that was all currency in these times. So if you had a gold coin, it was worth that much in gold. It wasn't representative of anything. It was actual value. That's right. So. With the Roman story, it is well documented, in fact, that during by the time we get to Constantine, the rate of inflation st- began to accelerate, partly because we do realize that the Roman crops were starting to have problems. We know there was a bit of a climatic shift that was taking place yeah, we in talk, the Mediterranean. We, we talked about this in our agriculture episode. We talked episode. about it in our yeah. agriculture episode. Yeah. So these kind of things had a fact. But it is also another f- interesting reality that the endless wars that the Romans fought against the Parthians, mm-hmm. basically a 700-year war. Yeah. Because it only ceased 10 years before the Islamic explosion, mm-hmm. which completely conquered the areas anyways. Um, the cost of that is like fighting, well, it's like fighting in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> we understand the U.S. has spent... $3 trillion fighting in Afghanistan. And that's just in Afghanistan. That yep, doesn't count Iraq. Uh, the the cost of military excursions is enormous. Mm-hmm. And that that had a factor in devaluating the currency. And then you just added the political pressures of the Germanic tribes, 
particularly on the Western Empire, when it eventually collapsed in 476, there was a complete withdrawal of the currencies in the area. Mm-hmm. Money became so scarce that in some ways it did not appear until um, Charlemagne, who oh, began wow. to re... That we was what, to re- three, four hundred years the later? Eight hundred, yeah. actually. When he could then reinstate uh, mining and uh, mining operations and so on. I mean, mining has always been a primary industry in the, around the world. And mm-hmm. we happen to live in a city that is one of the major mining centers of the planet. Yep. Uh, and we know how important it is. Everything that we use in a metallic form uh, is, is used. Money, whether it's gold, silver, or other, other metals of value... Uh, continued to be of value for a period of time. But the next innovation came along. Now, it came along in the year roughly 1200 AD Mm -hmm. uh, from China. Mm -hmm. And it happened to coincide as well with Genghis Khan's conquest because having conquered such a big area, he faced a perennial problem as how do you create a standard currency? And what did they invent? What did they invent, Gord? Paper money. Was it that late? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was earlier than they that. They did. That's why, that's why I didn't jump on that one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I th- okay. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because uh, the research I did said it was during the Song Dynasty, which was started, which started in 960, but ran into the 1200s. That's right. So it was in the later half of the Song Dynasty. Okay. There was promissory notes, and yeah. there was actually promissory notes prior to coins themselves in clay tablets and wax tablets. Yeah, they did that in the Mediterranean and yeah, yeah, Mediterranean area. Babylonian and even uh, Assyrian and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But the actual idea of portable currency, well, the Chinese made their next greatest innovation was, well, we don't have enough metal to do this anymore because our economy has actually grown so big that we don't have enough money to go around. So let's make paper money it's a promissory note it's like a check yeah and that's that's what i was going to say actually because we mentioned earlier that chinese coins had the holes in the center to put them on strings so large transactions actually got to the point where it wasn't about counting individual coins it was how many strings of coins are you paying for this but obviously that's not exactly a standardized system there's a lot of issues with that so it came to the point where people could leave their wealth and their strings of coins with a trustworthy agent who would give them an, um, uh, a receipt a, cer- yeah, a certified note saying this is how much money you have that note could then be brought to an individual handed off and then that individual could bring that note in and collect their money so it was an early form of a check and then the Chinese took that one step further to make it the actual standardized that's currency. right the, the check is in the mail <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so yeah oh. so that's kind of an interesting so that gives an idea of how ancient societies dealt with commerce Mm -hmm. how do you exchange value how do you buy and sell things and you have some sort of common point of reference yes it started with little pieces of valuable metal and now we have evolved to cryptocurrencies which is just nothing on nothing sorry that's just me saying that it's it's literally nothing it's it's lines of code on a computer it literally does not exist and somewhere in between (laughs) there we went from coins to currency to checks to credit cards, credit cards to <laughs> cryptocurrency. We have no idea what's going to go next. <laughs> but for our, our ancient ancestors, uh, there is the answer. They came up with an answer to create a world of commerce. And that is one of the hallmarks of the human species mm-hmm. is that we like to trade and we need products and goods from one place to another place 
And supply and demand economics. Yeah. Well, and, and necessity is the mother of invention. We needed better ways for commerce, better ways to exchange goods and services. And, and coins have been used throughout human history because they're small, um, they hold value, they're durable, they're pliable, you can melt them down and do other things with them. But the big disadvantage with them is that when you go to make large transactions, or if you're carrying a lot of them, they can be very, very heavy. Well, I've got a few pennies from the 1800s. <laughs> i got a collection, actually. Uh, quite a collection of coins, and a number of these coins are literally an inch and a half in diameter for a penny. Oh my goodness, that's they're huge. made of copper, but it's <laughs> enormous. <laughs> you don't need too many of them in your pocket, and they weigh you down. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Anyways, thank you very much for listening to this episode. We're glad you, we hope you enjoyed it. When we talk about money, hey, there's never too much talk about money anyway. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, we probably, if we had been born in a previous time, I think both of us would have been merchants traveling around the ancient world would give us a little bit of travel. Yeah, I, I think so. That sounds good to me. <laughs> but we appreciate you listening. We hope uh, things are well. Uh, and we look forward to recording our next one shortly. All right. My name is Shane. And I'm Gordon. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ancient Answers. Mm-hmm.